Digital has given every voice a platform. Will yours be heard? If there is one skill that everyone needs today, it's not just the ability to communicate, it's the ability to connect. My mission is to give you the communication skills you'll need to inform and inspire, sometimes using digital tools, but always with human outcomes. This week, my guest is Natalie Panchot, critical for innovation is that learning mindset, um, an acceptance and an embracement of the right type of failure, failure where you're learning quickly, um, collaboration. And this mindset within the organization and, and the people there that they can make a difference, that their behaviors matter. Let's begin. Natalie Panchot is an experienced strategy and innovation consultant and executive coach. She's currently director of learning at InnoSight, a growth strategy consulting firm for leaders who aim to design and create the future. Natalie creates a supportive environment that motivates both her clients and colleagues to challenge their assumptions and think and act differently. And it has brought her to our show. Natalie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Craig. I'm honored to be on. You know, a lot of people talk about innovation today, but very few can really successfully put it into practice. But you've made it your career, really, to help leaders and their organizations to become more innovative. Um, Tell us about your work as an executive coach. Sure. I am very, very fortunate. I think I have the best job in the world. And I have... You know, I recently actually officially discovered executive coaching a couple of years ago when I attended a program at Columbia University. Um, and at the program, I realized that I think I've been a coach for a lot longer than I've been calling myself one. Um, I had this epiphany. I was like, wait a minute, I'm not a consultant, I'm a coach. Um, and it kind of all came to light for me when we did this exercise where we differentiated between coaching and other disciplines, like a therapist, a mentor, a consultant, um, and ultimately a coach. And they used a cool uh, exercise that we did where we said, okay, if someone's got a problem, they come to you and you're the therapist, you say, all right, tell me about your childhood, tell me about your past. And it's a doctor-patient relationship where the doctor really has the answer. When you know, you're a mentor, it's more about helping the mentee does do as the mentor does. You're the older, wiser, you know, experienced person and you and the mentor's got the answers. And a consultant will say, okay, let's break down the problem. Let's look at the root cause. Let's, you know, make a mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive tree. And and in that case, the consultant is the expert. But then when we talked about coaching, coaching's really about co-creating a relationship. It's an equal relationship. And you're asking questions to help the clients discover their own answers. And there's this underlying assumption that the client has the answers. And I just love this. And I've seen this like over and over again in my consulting career, where I think our clients do have the answers and they kind of get in their own way. Um, And it's just amazing how if you kind of actively listen and ask the right questions that oftentimes um, people find the answers within themselves. They're able to surface assumptions about how they're working or stories they're saying about their own organization. And as a coach, I can help hold them accountable. Um, And so... Yeah, that's kind of how how I view coaching and when I discovered that I'm I'm a coach. You know, I'm just thinking about that. That is not an easy thing to do, you know, drawing someone out through 
questions in order for them to arrive at their own answers. That, you know, takes clearly a lot of practice and skill. Tell us some of the qualities that needed to be a successful coach. Great. I think of kind of four things. So the first and most important is, you know, what you're doing now, just being curious. And it absolutely is asking questions. And it's going beyond those, I'll call them like the investigative reporter, objective (laughs) questions. It's, um, we learned this tool and it's an acronym ORID and it's objective questions, which are kind of like, if I were watching a movie, what would I see? Tell me this scene. There's reflective, which is, you know, how are you feeling? How is this landing on you? Um, Interpretive, which is like, how are you making sense of this? What is the meaning to you? And then decisional, like, what are you going to do about it? And so I think asking questions, but making sure there's a balanced between those four types. And I will say in a work context, it can be very hard to ask those feeling questions, but that's actually where you unlock a lot of great stuff and people are craving to be asked that. Uh, The second thing is, you know, the flip side of asking those questions, really be a good active listener. Um, Focus less on, okay, how am I gonna respond? And more just seeking to understand and listen to your client. Um, And then the other thing we talk about is the coach as an instrument. So how are you self-aware? How are you really present and aware of your own sort of frames or biases that you might be bringing in? And then the last one, I think, whenever you're in a position where you're asking people to challenge your own assumptions, do something different, I think it's important to be committed to your own learning and development. Um, So I think those are really important qualities and also trusting yourself that you'll find the right questions when you're sitting with that client. Trust that you know um, you've learned a process. Um, At Columbia, we learned this process, which I really like. It's very memorable. So you learn kind of context where you ask people, what's up? Um, Then the next part is content. So, okay, what matters? Why is that important? And then the next is conduct, which is uh, what are you going to do about it? So I think qualities are curious, asking questions, um, and then just being aware of yourself and being very present. I know people enjoy talking about themselves, and those questions clearly are designed for them to do just that. But you talk to senior level people who may not be accustomed to answering questions or maybe answering to individuals. Um, Tell me what it's like working uh, with individuals um, at that level. Yeah, and I think that really comes down to the relationship and earning the right to be able to have those conversations. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes it does start with the more objective, smaller goal setting, and then you kind of can ask a little bit more about, okay, well, how did you feel about this? Um, and, And the other thing is really putting the client's agenda first. And that's where I think it does differ from maybe some of those other disciplines I mentioned earlier, where you're not directing the conversation. You're not the expert. It is um, it, the client. You ask them what's on your mind. What do you want to focus on today? Um, and it does require having a growth mindset and not being too judgy. I can say, oh, well, I don't know if that's a big enough goal. Saying, okay, great. Let's, <laughs> let's start where you are. So. Uh, It really is just being very present. You know, based on your comments and from what I'm hearing today, um, would you recommend that everyone get a coach if possible? You know, you don't necessarily have to be a senior leader, 
to benefit from coaching. Would that be your recommendation? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And the majority of my clients right now are not executives. I coach a lot within my organization. Um, So different roles, different levels of experience. And I was recently at a conference and they were talking about systematic coaching within an organization and building that um, manager's coach skill set. Because I think the way the world is heading where people are going to be making more, um, the latter is not just going to be vertical in an organization. People are going to be making horizontal moves, going to different companies, maybe boomeranging back to that company. I think it is really important to um, help people discover what's important to them and ask those questions versus being more of a, well, let me tell you how to be successful here. Um, so I think it's an important skill set. The other sort of factoid that I learned at this conference is even when it's one individual or a couple individuals being coached within an organization, it has a positive ripple f- effect throughout the organization. And I don't know if the study showed whether like it has to be the most senior person. I don't think it does. So I think it is a skill set that is um, very valuable and definitely recommend it uh, no matter what the level in an organization. Hmm. That's really interesting. Maybe later we can talk about how to find the right coach. I want to shift for just a moment, though, um, and talk about some other things that you do. For instance, your work also focuses on designing learning and immersion experiences for senior leaders. I wonder if you could explain what they are and why they are so important to companies today. Sure. I think these immersions and experiences, they're all about learning in context. Um, And I heard somewhere, I don't know who I give credit to, but I repeat it a lot, that learning is experience plus reflection. And I absolutely believe this and I've experienced this. And so when we think of um, an immersion, a lot of the work I do is kind of in action learning. So giving people a real problem project within an organization to solve um, and to build certain skill sets, whether it's building an enterprise mindset, being more globally focused, getting more comfortable with taking risks or innovation, design thinking. And as a part of that project, getting people outside of their comfort zone. So that might be working with people that you otherwise would never encounter, uh, working cross functions, working with a peer group instead of a situation where you might have a clear leader. And um, this concept of immersions, which as you said, I think is gaining in popularity, where you get out of your comfort zone and you I think it's about giving yourself permission to ask questions, to not be the expert, to be freed from that curse of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I recently had the experience to do this earlier this year. Uh, I was, I worked on a project in Singapore for a month and being somewhere for a couple of days and staying in the hotel versus being there for a month is a little bit different. And it was just so fun to ask questions that I otherwise probably wouldn't feel comfortable asking, um, allowing myself to make mistakes um, because I was like, well, this is new to me. I don't know any better. (laughs) And so I think, especially as you move up in an organization, it becomes harder 
to allow yourself to ask questions and be curious and be vulnerable. So some of these curated, I'll call them learning experiences and immersions, um, create a safe space for these executives to do just that. That's interesting. I wonder if academic institutions are adopting a similar learning approach um, because it seems to me, you know, leaving the book behind and stepping into the world that you're reading about is more applicable and would certainly resonate with students and have a, a more lasting effect in my view. What do you think? Yes, I think the key, and it's a thing, it's funny, I have a little mirror at my desk that says reflection is the gateway to deep learning, is just <laughs> ensuring your building in the reflection time, whether that's individual reflection in a notebook and saying, you know, I went in thinking this and then, wow, everything changed or building in time to have those conversations. I think the world we live in where everything is so rushed and we're all so busy, um, we often skip that step, which is so, so important. So I think whether it's in school, it's in, um, you know, an executive program, just making sure that that time is carved out. You know, we opened up the show with a thought about innovation and innovation is certainly the word in of itself is, is the buzzword, right? And it's all the talk and business as well. It should be innovation really never goes out of style. I'm using air quotes, but putting it into practice is something else. I mean, how does a business practically, operationally, culturally become innovative? Um, that's your wheelhouse. I wonder if you could speak to that. Yes. Uh, and, and the way that we define innovation is something new that has impact. And so I think actually starting there within an organization, getting very clear on what are the expectations and what is meant by some of these words. Um, what a lot of our work is even around innovation typology. So people know, okay, this is what a sustaining or incremental innovation looks like, where we're helping do something better for our best customers versus something that's more disruptive where you might be going after uh, people who aren't able to consume your product or service today. So I think one, just getting clear on what is innovation within the context of your organization. And then I think three things. So number one is having an organization at the very, very top has a good long-term strategy that is rooted in a purpose, um, a customer need, or what we like to call a job to be done. What are your customers trying to get done? And I think together with this purpose and strategy is um, storytelling, which you know, I know it's one of your uh, specialties, storytelling to really inspire um, and to connect with your organization. So at the second, so once you've got this long-term strategy is, as you said, putting in place the, the processes, the structures, whether that's um, skill sets, a resource allocation process, thinking about your portfolio of innovation, much like you think about a balanced risk portfolio for your finances. Um, having the discipline to shut things down. We see in organizations a lot of zombie projects where everyone's like, oh yeah, that thing's still out there and nobody has the courage to shut it down, but they're taking valuable resources um, away from other opportunities. And 
And then the third, and this is where I really get excited, is um, the people, the habits, the behaviors. And so critical for innovation is that learning mindset, um, an acceptance and an embracement of the right type of failure, failure where you're learning quickly, um, collaboration. And this mindset within the organization and, and the people there that they can make a difference, that their behaviors matter. Um, oftentimes clients will call us in and say, well, it's a skill we have to build. And I find rarely it's the skill. That's the easy thing to do. The thing that's really going to make a difference is that mindset shift and that belief that I as an individual employee, my team, my colleagues, my management team, we can make a difference. Um, and I think this is the intersection of my work in innovation and coaching, which is something in coaching we use as appreciative inquiry, where you say, what's going right? Uh, you start with what's working, and then that gives you the confidence to say, yeah, I can go pursue this lofty goal because I've done it before. And that's where I also think the stories that get told in an organization are so important. Um, and the co-founder of NSI, Clay Christensen, when he did his research, what I found so interesting about it is his ultimate um, discovery was that it's not that organizations, the same really smart managers become dumb when they miss a disruptive innovation. It's because there's something inherent in the organization, the resources, the processes. It's not that smart people become dumb. He truly believes that people can change and, and, and do different um, and that organizations can change. And that's why we exist. So strategy, processes, and then people that believe they can make a difference. Is it that the organizations that are successful at this, do you find coming in that the culture is already right for change? Um, I think of the old comic strip where the leader asks, who wants change? Everyone raises their hand. Um, who wants to change? No one raises their hand. And then, then he asks, who wants to lead change? And then the room's empty. Um, that's a culture problem, right? So, so do you find when you come in to help that the culture already has to be there? Mm -hmm. And that's where, so, so language, clarity around the expectations and then demonstration. So where are we seeing these small wins? Where are there stories that we can tell that we can inspire and that we can consistently be sharing these stories? And I do think it requires um, a commitment and almost like cohesion from the top, that yes, you need to talk the talk, but you also need to walk the walk. We need to see that some of these uh, new and different things are getting the funding, um, that the people who work on these things are being celebrated in the organization, not being penalized for it. So these are all things though, these are all levers that can be changed in an organization. And I think, Oftentimes, culture is that scary one where we say, oh, can it really be changed? And, and my belief and my experience is that, yes, it can. And, uh, and it all comes down to behaviors and, and habits. Hmm, that's fantastic. Let me ask you something. I really want to know, what really is a brainstorming session? Um, I hear about them. I've been part of them. But what is a real brainstorming session? And more importantly, how can one communicate effectively during a brainstorming session? 
Okay. So brainstorming ideation, it's got lots of different names, but the, the way I think about it is it's rapidly creating something new. Um, it's a structured way to, to put into practice the habits that are required for innovation. And I think of it as, you know, you absolutely need to start with um, what's the problem we're trying to solve some empathy work so that there's clarity around, okay, what is the thing that we're brainstorming solutions for? The second is, you know, quickly creating something, building on each other's ideas, ensuring equal share of voice. And I love your question around communication because I've just seen that is so critical and how powerful it is to set norms and to get the group who's brainstorming to add to the list, commit to it, have a sense of ownership over that, um, have some clarity around what will be done with their ideas. Because I'm sure you've been in sessions where you come up with all these great ideas and they just go into a black hole. You don't know what happens to them. So really important to close the loop, even if it's to say this idea wasn't pursued and here's why. Um, and, and I think also just setting those norms so that everyone can contribute equally introverts and extroverts so it is important i think to have some quiet time where people can brainstorm on their own and then come together as a larger team you know i want to pose a thought based on your response um social media to me it seems like a platform for brainstorming in many situations someone posts a thought or an idea and then individuals comment as it relates to their viewpoint around that idea and either they they like it or it's challenged um do you see brainstorming or ideation going to the next level um with social media i do i like that question i do think with social media what's great is you get more access to potential consumers subject matter experts just more people who are willing to share and contribute. Because I think at the end of the day, as humans, we love to help each other and give ideas. So this is just increasing the number of ideas that you get. But then I, the other side of it kind of gives me anxiety, which is like, oh, it's just more feedback. And I have a colleague here and he, he always tells me, if you ask people for feedback, you'll get feedback. And uh, sometimes that can be overwhelming, right? So when do you turn things off or when do you still say, okay, I'm taking in all this information and I'm going to trust myself or I'm going to trust my team because I think it can also be distracting to go down all these different paths of, have you thought about, what about this? How about that? Um, and you can lose sight, I think, of what you're trying to accomplish. Yes, I agree. I wonder if communities then would be better, right? Um, because you can make them private, uh, you can make them small. I'm thinking about communities, certainly in LinkedIn, but maybe like Facebook, where you can have an influencer, right? And she has maybe just 12, 13 people she's engaged with. Um, do you see that as potentially a better way to ideate? I do. I like that. I like that number too. So I think if you think about in an ideation, let's say you've got I try, I think an ideal size, if you're one or two facilitators, it's like 30 people with, you know, five people at a table. So I like that thought of, can you take the analog world into the digital and make it more manageable? Yeah, I think that's definitely um, a good best practice. And just sticking with social media, um, I'm just thinking about it. Do you think that it has 
negatively or positively affected leadership development? I think social media, it's it's triggering like the intellectual curiosity, right? So I think that's good. There's more sparks. I also think I start in the like real world and say it allows people who've had this shared experience like you and I working together to then stay in touch. And I think that's really great just to um, maintain those connections and see what people are doing and what's on their minds. I do personally worry that sometimes I'm on LinkedIn. I'm like, wow, I agree with everything here. I'm like, wait a minute, am I in an echo chamber? Mm. Um, And how do I make sure I'm reading things that I might not immediately agree with? Um, And that's, I would love just any advice you have or how you've handled that, because this is something I get very excited. I'm like, wow, this is all the things I'm thinking about. But then I ask myself, well, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess the person who originally posted the idea could invite individuals to test this theory, right? Um, because it's true. There are some individuals whose soul intent is to be a contrarian, just to stir the pot. But, you know, um, there are others who, who may have opposing ideas, but maybe they don't want to, you know, they're not trying to come across as someone like that. So I think if the if the person who started the conversation invites dissent, um, then that's different. Yeah, that's a great point to invite it almost. Yeah. When exactly. you're putting a piece of content out there and be okay with that dissent or that's a great, great point. Hmm. So let me ask you this. Um, what do you see on the horizon as far as changes go for leadership development, um, you know, clearly social media is going to play a role, but there are other things too. Um, what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, I do see a lot more of where we started our conversation, coaching. I see a lot more asking questions. Um, I see also learning from learning being disrupted, that you can learn in lots of different channels, whether it's in a classroom from an expert or from a peer or someone that's on your team. Um, so I think we're going to see different forms of learning. Uh, another thing that I know you do a lot of videos, and it's funny, I I struggle with that. But when I see, so I, I manage like our new hire onboarding, people straight out of school. And they always ask me, will that be recorded? Do you have a video? And I'm like, who's watching this? But they watch it. They really do. And so I think just getting past my own uncomfortableness with uh, being on video, I think we are going to see a, a lot more things recorded and archived so that people can access them when they need it right? So that you can learn in that moment. Um, And then I also think using a lot more digital tools, like uh, my program, my coaching program, we use Adobe Connect. I was really impressed by the technology of the breakout rooms. And just, it was like I was in the same room with my colleagues who were in Taiwan and Singapore, and it just making the world so much smaller. So I think we're going to see a lot of the same um, types of breakout groups and activities, as I said, that you would see in, let's say, the analog world. I think we'll see them being enabled more in the digital world. Um, so those are kind of three big things that I'm mm-hmm. that I'm seeing. So we have this part of the show called What If. It's a hypothetical, and the question is based on 
some of the responses that you've given already in the interview, I want you to imagine that you've been asked to give the graduation speech uh, for the class of 2019 for all the major Ivy League schools. I know that doesn't happen in the real world, but you've been you've been asked to do the whole tour. And specifically, you've been asked to talk about innovation and how these folks can be innovative in the workforce and how they can exhibit leadership qualities despite the fact that they've had limited experience perhaps in the workforce. How would you, how would you, you know, give that speech? Wow. First of all, I'm honored to be speaking at all the Ivy League <laughs> next year. What a, what an opportunity. Um, great. So I think in terms of innovation, there are some things that are just no regrets. So the first is being curious, having that empathy, understanding, you know, what are problems in the world that need to be solved? Um, and not just what people are telling you, but really using all of your senses, tapping into that to say, okay, what are, you know, people needing more at a emotional or not just a functional uh, perspective. So truly, truly understanding, you know, what are the problems? And then the other thing is, I mean, it's just so exciting how design thinking is taking over and how quickly people are coming up with ideas and using digital tools to create prototypes and solve these problems. So I would say um, understanding how to do those things, how to work collaboratively with people with different skill sets, different ways of working to develop solutions, whether that's digitally or, or not. Um, and then the, the third thing on being innovative, I think really is that um, mindset that enables you to be collaborative, to learn from others and to believe in yourself and that you can make a difference. Um, so that's on the innovation side. On the leadership piece, I think one of the most important things is to not assume somebody else has all the answers, to not think that you need to read someone else's mind, but that really, um, really create and allow yourself to take ownership of once you've identified a problem, whether it's a small thing in your organization or a bigger problem in the world and say, I've got a point of view and it's informed by all these different things and I'm going to put it out here and I want to hear your perspective. Um, and just giving yourself the permission to do that. Um, and that's something I share a lot with our consultants when they join here, because sometimes they feel like I'm just trying to figure out what you want or what you need. And I said, what I need is for you to think about this and come to me at the point of view so that we can work on it together. Um, so, and also having the resilience and the fortitude to say, okay, it might not be perfect. And there might be some things that in here that aren't right, but I'm curious to learn from you and get your perspective so I can make this better. And what I equate that to is it's like when you write something, it's always easier to edit than it is create. Mm -hmm. And so don't find yourself always in that editor position, but allow yourself to create and everything that comes along with that. So people telling you what's wrong and just, you know, all the feedback um, because the payoffs are so great when you do take that ownership mindset and put your own point of view out there. Wow, that's really fantastic advice. You know, thinking about what you were saying, especially as it relates to innovation, 
Um, you know, to me, innovation is is about the long game, right? And for someone who might be young and just out of school, it might be challenging to really take that on because they want to make an impression quickly. So how would you how would you help someone to appreciate that who's fresh out of school? Yeah, thank you for saying that because I, I do really agree with that. And I think actually someone coming out of school where you don't necessarily have the curse of knowledge, that is a good thing. Uh, so it's looking at those trends, um, seeing where the world is going. And I actually don't see that being as much a challenge for the younger people. Um, being curious and asking those questions, well, what about this? Or how about if we did you know, something this way? I see the bigger challenge actually around like the leadership thing and the fortitude that it takes to say, okay, you know what? I think this is where the world is going. I think, you know what, Natalie, training's all gonna be on video. And even if it makes you uncomfortable, here's all the reasons why I think we should do it. And oh, look, I created a video that we can share with some colleagues starting tomorrow. But I, I, I do agree with you how important that long game is and looking at the trends and looking at those signals. And there's so much information today. Like when you go online, it's overwhelming, right? When you go on, whether it's mm -hmm. any of these <laughs> sites. Those are really great insights. And it gives me something to walk away with. So, you know, we know innovation is about the long game, right? But as far as leadership goes, wow, that's interesting, right? Um, they can uh, offer their ideas, right? They, they just need to have the gumption uh, to articulate those ideas um, because they have them. And so um, just articulating those ideas uh, is really uh, the right first step. Mm-hmm. And also being comfortable getting the feedback of, you know, hey, this isn't going to work now, but maybe it will later. And mm -hmm. having the resilience to say, okay, because what I've found, and I've learned this from my mentors, um, as, as someone who I like to come up with a lot of ideas, timing is everything, right? So mm -hmm. never let go of an idea because it might be a certain point in the budget cycle where there's just not room for it, or for whatever reason, it's just not being listened to, but you could bring it up a month later and it will be the greatest idea ever. <laughs> Interesting. I'm going to keep that in mind. So let's focus on you for just a moment. Let's focus on the future. Um, where would you like to see yourself in five years? Um, you know, I know how much you love your job. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you said doing what you're doing right now, because, well, your job is to to look into the future. Um, but but what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so five years, so 20 23 is that where we are it's funny i remember when 2020 was like so far off and now it's right around the corner um so i think i will still be working at this intersection of innovation coaching and leadership um and i think about you know i did that corporate athlete program where you articulate your mission and i think i'll still be focused on my mission which i can share with you which is to help people connect with their strengths and what makes them uniquely special in their career pursuits, um, to be a trusted person, to support people on their individual journeys, to find success, uh, insights and answers within, and to really be deeply connected and enjoy, you know, the relationships I have with my family, friends and community. Um, so I think it will be a lot more of the same. My day to day might look a little bit different, but 
I am still incredibly energized um, by the work that I'm doing, the the people that I get to work with, the clients, my colleagues, the new people that we um, bring on. I'm just so inspired by them. And I'm very fortunate to work in a place where uh, creativity is embraced, where this there are so many options to create new things and try new things. So the fact that I get to help other people do that is pretty cool. Well, that sounds good. Natalie, how can someone get in contact with you? Sure. Um, I think we've talked about LinkedIn. That's a great, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on there a lot. So uh, definitely find me there. Um, and yeah, I would love to. So as I mentioned, I've been doing a lot of my coaching internal at my organization. I would love to work with more people outside of my organization. All right. Well, we know where to find you now on LinkedIn. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I learned so much from you and I can't wait to begin to employ these things. Um, So thank you so much and I hope you come back. Thank you so much, Craig, for the opportunity and for just asking so many thoughtful questions. Questions are powerful and I learned a lot um, just spending the time to reflect on them and to have this conversation with you. So I really appreciate it and would love to come back. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, if you listened to this podcast using Apple Podcasts, please rate this show. And if you are so inclined, please leave a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast. And if I can improve it, please let me know. Thank you so much.